Welcome back to Out Loud, the Selective Mutism podcast. I'm Chelsea, and today I have an Instagram Live that I did on Instagram, obviously, with Michelle, the mindset coach. I just wanted to make sure everyone got a chance to hear it because not everyone is on Instagram. So here it is. I hope you enjoy it. And before we get started, I just wanted to announce that we have some stickers and pins and t-shirts, all kinds of things. I've been playing around with Redbubble, um, so you can look on our social media or go to outloudsm.com and click shop and you will find all kinds of selective mutism stickers and pins and hopefully more designs are on the way. All right, enjoy this episode. Hi. Hello. Nice to see you, Chelsea. You too. How are you doing? Good, thank you. How are you today? I'm good. Yeah, it's afternoon there, I take it. <laughs> yeah, it's 1 p.m. here. Good. Well, it's a pleasure to join you on this today, and um, thank you for uh, agreeing to having this conversation. I'm really excited about yeah. it. Me too. I'm glad you reached out. It'd be fun. Pleasure. A few people joining. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Hello. Yeah, so just so everyone has an understanding. So um, I'm, I'm a life coach, a life and mindset coach, and I work a lot with highly sensitive people. And when I found Chelsea's um, page, I, could, I realized I could really relate to selective mutism. And it's not something that I know I knew much about at the time until I found your page. So um, that's why I'm really excited. Yeah. I have no idea where you got kicked out. <laughs> I dropped out. Instagram just decided to crash on me, so I'm really sorry. <laughs> oh, no, you're back. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was saying. Yeah. So, I when I discovered your page, I I thought, my goodness, there's so, so much that we have in common between highly sensitive mm -hmm. people and um, people with selective mutism. So, uh, I'm yeah sure that people will relate. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people with selective mutism are highly sensitive, but maybe don't know about it or they have never heard of that before. Like I just learned about being highly sensitive and it describes me perfectly. So it's kind of funny that I never knew about it until like this year. Oh, right. So you, you only discovered about your, that you were highly sensitive as well recently. So you knew about your selective yeah. mutism when you were yeah, so I've been diagnosed with selective mutism since I was like five years old. Um, yeah. So, so how did that change? I guess you don't really remember much when you were five, but how did that change things for you? And yeah. The way you, your I guess probably helped you through it. Yeah, I think getting the diagnosis, like I don't really remember being told that's what it was at that age but um like for my parents to get a label to it it kind of kicked off um more effective strategies at getting me um participating in school and things like that because we were able to figure out what was going on and set goals um it just really kick-started progress 
And did you notice the difference in both your kind of social life as well as educational at the time? In the gradual? Yeah. I mean, I always knew I was different. I saw other kids like interacting so freely and I just felt like, why can't I do that? Um, and I think finding that diagnosis, like it made my parents like understand why that was happening. And growing up, we always talked about anxiety and how that's what I was struggling with and um, ways we can cope with it and try to challenge myself to face my fears um, every day. And we set up a lot of play dates <laughs> to try to um, create relationships and make friends. So. Right. So you set sort of increment or your parents helped you set incremental goals at the time and um, little things that you can. Yeah. You yeah. I mean, as a kid, it's hard. You can't really control your treatment or your environment. So it's all up to the adults in your life to set goals with you and keep you involved. But they're really controlling the progress and your environment. Yeah. So when is it that you started to notice as you grew older that you had uh, that the efforts that you were putting in were more based on your own kind of uh, knowledge and that you had to start pushing yourself more rather than relying on the adults in your life to kind of organize it? Yeah, probably when I was a little bit older. I mean, there were times when in like middle school or elementary school where I would do something that wasn't really a goal or I just kind of like surprise people but I think more more so as like a teenager or preteen I just wanted to fit in and I wanted to have friends and I was able to push myself towards goals that I thought were important that weren't necessarily set by therapists but just things that I wanted to do <laughs> so I think when you get older, you kind of get more control over your own um, journey. Yeah. What did you notice about, like, what type of experiences did you have um, where you felt that it, it really stopped you from doing what you wanted to do? Yeah. I mean, I always struggled with, like, initiating conversations, so I could never just walk up to someone that I wanted to be friends with and start a conversation. And I always saw other kids doing that. And I just, I had no idea how to do that. And I also just felt like I couldn't physically do that. Um, so like that puts a barrier on a lot of things. If you can't even approach someone, it's hard to build a relationship and that leads to other things. Um, and just simple things like answering questions in class, like attendance, asking to go to the bathroom, just normal everyday things that are so easy for everyone else just feel impossible. <laughs> yeah. How, how did you kind of, what feedback did you get from other people? Was it even more difficult because people didn't really understand it as well? Yeah. I think it's still not really well understood, but it used to be even worse. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I think a lot of people thought it's like rudeness or I'm just ignoring people or I think I'm above everyone and I'm like snobby or um, like being defiant and controlling the situation, but it's none of that. It's completely 
not a choice. It's, I think it's very fear-based and it feels like you physically can't speak at times. So I think it can be very easily misunderstood and it still is. <laughs> yeah. It's unfortunate. Yeah, definitely fear-based. And, mm -hmm. and it just makes me kind of question because they are, you mentioned this earlier, but you were saying it's selective mutism is not anxiety. So how would you differentiate selective mutism from anxiety? Because I think it is anxiety. It's rooted in anxiety, but so. it's different from anxiety because right. I see it more of a behavior pattern. It's more like um, you get frozen in fear and anxiety and you're in panic mode, like survival mode, and you're unable to speak, and that kind of makes it harder to speak in the future because you're afraid to cause, like, some kind of reaction mm -hmm. because it turns into the expectation that you're not going to speak, and then once you do, it's, like, a big um, event for everyone, and you usually get a crazy response from anyone who witnessed you speak. Um, so that kind of, that's part of the reason that it continues. And another reason is peers and parents like to um, protect their kids, like, which is totally natural. And they will rescue the child with selective mutism and answer for them or communicate for them. So it kind of leads to never having to speak and it just goes on and on and on if that cycle's never broken. Um, but it is, it is based in anxiety and it's like more like a severe like social anxiety um it's like a little niche it's kind of um part of anxiety but not the same thing yeah yeah what you're saying there is really um i think because i can definitely relate to what you were saying about how parents um parents as well as the children don't really understand it and you know there's not enough awareness about it so parents don't really know what to do so if their child isn't speaking or doesn't seem to know what to say or not not seem able to to say anything then they'll naturally yeah. want to step in and help them um mm -hmm. but in the end it doesn't really always work in the favor of the child because then they never really learn to push themselves yeah. and, and overcome mm -hmm. them, right um right yeah and and what you said earlier about the uh like appearing arrogant and that's definitely something i can relate to i mean even now because mm -hmm. the way that i i am introverted i don't have um anxiety anymore but i am introverted and i'm quite selective about the people that i speak to sometimes and it's only it's a natural thing I don't judge others but I'm quite reserved in many ways and I'm very um, kind to everyone and open to everyone mm -hmm. um, but the people I engage into kind of more extensive conversations tend to be the people I click with because um, I'm not really one yeah. for a superficial conversation and you know so there's people I relate to, then I tend to be to a kind of approach them more, or if I feel more comfortable, mm -hmm. or their energy is makes me feel more comfortable, mm -hmm. then I approach them more easily now. Um, and, yeah. and people who kind of observe it from an outside point of view can think uh, that I'm being arrogant or snobby, or um, that I'm I think I'm too yeah. good for people. 
Um, so it's a huge misconception, e even now for me, from what I notice from people, what they, what people say. After. Yeah, and I would say it's actually the opposite a lot of the time. Like, I always had, like, very low self-esteem, and I just felt like everyone hated me, and everyone thought I was weird. Like, I didn't think I was better than anyone. I just felt like I was the outcast. Right. And I think that's true for a lot of people with SM. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and then as what you were saying also like really hit home for me that whenever you do finally speak or say something or express something passionately or whatever and people aren't used to it when you're a child who's always quiet and suddenly you speak, it's like a big deal. And then um, I don't know about you, but I didn't really like that kind of attention because I just wanted to fit in. Right. didn't want to be made to feel like, oh, all of a sudden Michelle is speaking and everyone yeah. looking her and the tensions on her I didn't really like that I just wanted to feel like that was right funny. and that can make it worse yeah right yeah exactly but yeah one of the um posts that you'd put up really clicked with me when I first discovered your page and that was to do with um being bilingual because I'm I'm bilingual yeah. myself in English and French and I uh, I now also um, luckily speak other languages as well but but I grew up going to a French school and um uh and yeah since the age of eight so i moved to london when i was eight years old um so first of all i didn't really fit in because i arrived in the middle of the year because i i was in the states i was in asia and in the states before london um and oh, wow. you know we left the states we were in la and we left because of an earthquake um in 94. yeah so um and it was the middle of the school year so we moved here after we kind of lost our the home we were buying basically in LA and decided my parents decided to have um, to start afresh in the UK because they'd once been in London themselves and so that's the reason why we moved here quite coincidentally um, but um, yeah it was the middle of the school year and there was no way that I could fit in anyway because <laughs> everyone already knew each other yeah. So that as a starting point was not the best, uh, especially for yeah, someone like me. Um, but yeah, and then and then as someone who's quiet as well and didn't really know what to say, bullying became at the center of it all. Um, but that yeah, on the, on the language front, what I was saying is that because um, I went to a French, it was like a French international school, and um, we so we spoke French most of the time, and I didn't end up. Uh, learning all the subjects in English until much later on. So most of my time in school was spent speaking French to, um, to classmates. And um, so when I actually spoke English in school was fairly on a fairly rare occasion, either in English class uh -huh. or, um, or with people who didn't really speak French as well, maybe or anything like that. So because I spoke French most of the time, even though I spoke English at home because my dad doesn't speak French, um, uh, I there were people who in school who thought that I wasn't English speaking. Um, oh. And yeah, and so it was almost like the cool kids would speak English and then um, the rest of us <laughs> would speak French. But it just meant that whenever it came to me trying to speak English, I would just become completely mute. Um, and mm -hmm. obviously I knew how to speak the language, but I, I spoke yeah. perfectly fine at home, but in school, I just couldn't, I couldn't get the words out. Um, it, it just felt completely impossible, um, with anyone in school really, uh, except yeah. the teachers. So, 
so yeah i just found that really interesting that um yeah that kind of was hidden at the back of my memory and it i i, I like to kind of understand things sometimes and i question oh okay so what was that about you know why why one language and not the other and um, mm -hmm. yeah that's pretty common for uh, i mean selective mutism is more common in bilingual people which is interesting mm. and it's kind of overlooked i feel like it's not talked about a lot but um it's important to understand right yeah yeah how, do you remember like how that ended or what did you do to like move past that i think the only it was quite gradual when i when i was 14 we had the choice of um whether we wanted to continue and with the english system to do ex exams in english and therefore you know ultimately go to universities in uh in england or whether to do the french baccalaureate and I saw myself staying in staying in the UK and doing it that way. So that's when I was forced into the situation of having to speak in English all the time because I suddenly uh -huh. had all my classes in that language and it changed yeah. things. So I think that's when it started to kind of gradually change and I was immersed in that kind of situation. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't it, it it I don't remember it being a kind of particular moment. I think it was it was gradual yeah. thing and and to be honest everyone Definitely. was adjusting like, there was a it was a big adjustment for everyone because suddenly we had to start learning everything in a totally different language and the system mm -hmm. is different um that's but, true but yeah. yeah i always say that there's no like specific point yeah. where selective mutism is gone like i can identify a point where i was like cured or whatever um, it took many years, and I made progress in different in different settings and with different people and different situations each year. And I think one of the like defining points though was when I switched schools because it gave me a fresh start. And I switched in sixth at the end of sixth grade, so I went to a new school in seventh grade, and I was just ready to start over and begin talking to more people. So I started at the new school and I was still known as like a quiet person, but I was speaking to everyone um, that I needed to speak to <laughs> to get through the day. I think that- So it's not just one point, yeah. Yeah, that's really helpful that you had the opportunity to switch like that and kind of mm -hmm. start afresh and um, kind of develop your confidence towards a new audience in a sense because yeah in my case it was a school that I went to from primary all the way up to mm -hmm. uh, high school in your case so um yeah sixth form in our case so um it was it was a case of everyone who I knew from the age of eight uh, I ended up in school with at the age of 17 you know until I finished yeah um and that d didn't quite work in my favor because everyone remembered me as the same person, right. you know, who couldn't speak. Even yeah. though I gradually started improving, uh, it wasn't mm -hmm. recognized. So all the people who bullied me at the start and bullied me at the end. Um, so it wasn't particularly pleasant in that. Yeah. Case. But in general, I think that because I had no awareness about selective mutism or high sensitivity mm -hmm. and I only really discovered about the high sensitivity traits uh, about six years ago. 
and it kind of made everything fall into place for me and I started mm -hmm. to understand why I had been so awkward most of my life and yeah. and why my nervous system system was the way it was and why I'm sensitive so sensitive to light and noise and why I'm so sensitive uh in my heart to, to people's energies and mm -hmm. um to everything happening around me um at the time i like like you i felt like i was different but um I, it didn't come to those realizations till later and it's not until i became an adult i guess in my late 20s i started realizing okay i need to start pushing myself to overcome these barriers that i have of social anxiety and all of that yeah. and, and that was gradual but i was very aware of it as well i knew that i didn't feel comfortable but i still i still did it um mm -hmm. for as long as it didn't make me totally break i kind of have this i call it the rubber band theory because you you can stretch your personality as far as possible but without it breaking mm -hmm. and i i would i would encourage anyone to try and stretch their personality because it kind of helps stretch you out of your comfort zone which is a yeah. good thing but stretching it too far will make you snap and in other words it'll mm -hmm. create too much anxiety that you won't be able to function right um, so in my case like with my sensitivities and my introversion and my social anxiety i felt that it was important for me to try and push myself to be a little bit more extroverted at times and yeah. be a little bit more brave and speak when i when i felt like you know um when i felt to uh uh, a little bit anxious but um but not do it so much to the point where it was going to cause me a panic attack you know right it's hard to find that line too because you sometimes you either think things are too hard but you can actually do it and other times it feels like you can do it but then you get there and you're like having a panic attack <laughs> so it's hard to figure out what your point is um yeah which is okay to take risks but I think there is a lot think, of trial and error in it, but yeah. self-awareness is really important as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think like a biggest, the, one of the biggest parts of it is like perfectionism. Like I never wanted to mess up or look stupid in front of someone or make a mistake. Um, so that kind of caused me to never try anything new for a long time. And I think it took years and years to learn how to, just not really care anymore about what people think or about looking silly or being able to laugh at myself. Um, but it took years to learn how to do that. <laughs> I'm still learning um, that not everything needs to be perfect and we're all just human and everyone has their weaknesses. Um, and not, it doesn't have to be perfect. You just have to keep trying. You get better at things as you try. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. A um, mm -hmm. perfect situation for me that would happen to me all the time and um, for, for years, really, is, you know, when someone's coming at you with, uh, I don't know, a rude comment or, or quite bullyish or whatever it is. And, and then you go mute and you don't say anything and then you end up mm -hmm. overthinking it, thinking, oh, no, I should have said this and that. I could have said all the, this, you know, this would have been the right yeah. thing to say. Um, and so we end up overthinking oh this and that would have been the right thing to say and and the perfect thing to say and in the end i don't remember who gave me this advice um years ago but they said to me you don't need to say the right thing just say anything 
And sometimes that <laughs> little step is just saying anything. It doesn't have to be the right thing uh, of defending yourself or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be the perfect thing. It just has to be something, at least one right. word or two words or one thing. Um, and then gradually, like you said, you learn as you go along. So step by step, you start to improve on it and then kind of think, okay, that's my next step. Then the next goal that I'm setting is to not only say something, but say something that shows some self-respect for myself. Um, and then ultimately you stop kind of overthinking or searching for the perfect thing because you feel like you've put the right energy into it out of, out mm -hmm. of self respect and self-worth for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still learning a lot about being highly sensitive. Um, it's interesting because once you've overcome selective mutism, there's like all this stuff left over. Like I still have a ton of social anxiety. I went through panic attacks for years. I'm kind of past that. Um, but it's like all these sensory processing issues that I've always had, but I had them like tied to selective mutism in my mind for some reason, but they're separate. <laughs> but so many people have, um, like sensory processing issues or they're highly sensitive somehow. Um, so I think it's so important to like do your own research and like be a student and learn about yourself and about um, just anxiety in general. And I think that's why I went into psychology because I was just so like, I just wanted to figure it out for myself and to help other people. Um, but it, it's so helpful to like become educated and mm -hmm. about your nervous system and about anxiety and why it's happening to you and how you can work through it. Yeah, I've always found that really interesting. Yeah, it, it raises your awareness and with that comes self-awareness as well. Once right. you kind of have an understanding of what it is that's triggering your behavior, whether it's things mm -hmm. or, or mutism or whatever it is, then you can start to think, okay, that's what it is. What are my next steps from here? And what goals can I set for myself from mm -hmm. here? Um, but yeah, there's the sensory processing thing. Um, sadly, a lot of highly sensitive people do get dis uh, misdiagnosed with things like autism and stuff because yeah. there are so many similarities between these things, mm -hmm. but it is totally different. Um, and also right. autism, there is mutism in many ways as well for in some instances. But um, yeah, but yeah, with high sensitivity, you're um, so you have a highly tuned nervous system. So the way you process things is very in depth. Um, so your depth of processing things is deeper than the average person or a non-highly sensitive, meaning that you can sometimes take longer to understand things. Um, mm -hmm. Although what I found in my case is when it comes to anything related to emotional intelligence, I kind of catch on to things a lot quicker than non-sensitives. Yeah. Um, but if it's something academic or intellectual, sometimes it would have taken me a bit longer than other people because I was trying to understand things in more detail. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's quite a typical trait with high sensitivity as well. And mm -hmm. I guess that's the perfectionism thing that you were talking about is sometimes um, true with that as well, because we want to, we look at the detail in things and we want everything to be right all the time. So we, uh, can spend ages analyzing things before actually taking yeah. before taking action, which isn't always uh -huh. the best way. Yeah, decision making can be hard. <laughs> yeah, mm, definitely.
Yeah. But um, there's loads of benefits to being highly sensitive. And yeah, and it's definitely like it's good to focus on the positives of it and um, rather than all the negative <laughs> issues that can come along with it. Yeah, we're better able to connect with people and um, build deeper relationships with people. And um, yeah, and, and we can help the world because we have that sensitivity and empathy for people mm -hmm. and everyone else. And we want to make a difference in the world. And that's, that's what leads people like us to these kind of careers because we want to yeah. make a difference in the world in an, in an authentic way. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's hard to, I'm like learning that it's so easy to burn yourself out, whether it's like socially or emotionally, because you take on everyone else's um, stress or mood or just their energy. And it's kind of like, I don't know, you have to learn your own limits so that you can take care of yourself. Um, I always tell parents that you need to take care of yourself first before, like, so that you can be able to help your child the best that you can. <laughs> yeah, especially for a parent, you, you're, you're in it with your child, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, you're on that journey yeah. together. But yeah, you can only be the best guidance that you can. But do you find that mm -hmm. in, you know, with psychology as well, the, the kind of challenge of separating yourself emotionally? Yeah, I definitely do. It's, um, I work with uh, families actually doing ABA um, with mostly um, autistic population, some developmental disability, but it's definitely like you do get attached to families and to cases and clients and you just want the best for them. Um, but it can definitely take over like all your thoughts if you're really trying to solve a problem. Um, so it's important to like shut it off once you go home. <laughs> yeah, it's the difference between empathy and sympathy, right? And sometimes mm -hmm. you're a better use to people when you're in an empath empathetic state rather than a sympathetic state because you're, you're not going down that hole with them. You're kind of um, helping them out whilst you kind of stay off of it, right? But um, yeah. Yeah, and for highly sensitive people, it can be even more challenging because um, you have to build that extra level of self-awareness to, to know, you know, when you're about to enter that state and how to prevent it from happening. Mm -hmm. um, and setting barriers is hard, too. Um, like, I don't know. It's like I've kind of, like, always been a people pleaser. Like, I just want everyone to be happy and I want everything to go as planned all the time and <laughs> nothing to ever go wrong. So that kind of leads me to take on a lot and say yes to everything. And it's kind of hard to say no to people sometimes. So you have to like learn how to set little boundaries with people so that you're protecting yourself and it lets you be able to do a better job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It does help us do a better job. And that's what a lot of people don't quite get. And that's what makes them fear setting boundaries because it kind of mm -hmm. if they're used to being there for everyone all the time and trying to rescue others all the time without giving any energy to themselves um right then it makes them believe that it's selfish to not do so when actually mm -hmm. or, if, or it's like 
awkward to say no to someone or say, I can't do that for you right now. Um, it's always been hard for me <laughs> to say no to people. Yeah, you don't want to disappoint people, right? But right. But in the end, if they're your people, then they will understand that you need a bit of recharge time before coming back to it. Right. It's not that you're necessarily saying no permanently, like you're never going mm -hmm. to give any support to them. Um, and yeah, it really is just the difference between rescuing people and helping them because you you can't be, you know, to be in a state of helping someone, you need to take care of yourself first mm -hmm. in order to give from a full cup whereas if you're rescuing them you're like i said earlier you're going down that hole with them and you're not going to be mm -hmm. used to anyone else um including yeah. yourself yeah definitely <laughs> um is there, is there anything else you want? <laughs> <laughs> what else I was just going to say, is there anything else you wanted to cover or? Um, That's what I was going to say. I don't know. <laughs> if not. Um, I think that's it. Unless anyone has a question they want to put in the chat. Does anyone have any questions about anything we spoke about? Selective mutism, anxiety or eye sensitivity? Well, if anyone has any questions, please feel free to drop us a message. To yeah. Um, and we'll be happy to respond to anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for your time, Chelsea. I appreciate you being you here. You too. Yeah, it was great talking to you. Same. And um, yeah, let's just continue on that journey of um, self improvement, and it's the only way to improve, isn't it? And of course, any sibling issues as adults? What's my mom asking that question? I don't know what she means by that. Um, do I have issues with my siblings? Is it to do Not really, but I think, I think what she's getting at is a lot of people ask us if people with selective mutism get along with their siblings or like they won't talk to their sibling. And I used to sometimes not talk to my brother when I was little and we're only two years apart, but I would avoid him in the house or just kind of ignore him <laughs> sometimes right and i don't like obviously i've moved past that but i think it kind of like pattern old patterns last for a while and they're harder to break yeah. um the new relationships you form later oh she says these siblings true. understand that's true yeah because they obviously you, you would have grown up together yeah and that can be hard for them to understand like why is my sibling ignoring me? Why don't they want to hang out with me right now? Um, so I think that can be hard on other family members. Yeah. Yeah. In, in my case, I have a sister and uh, we're so different in personalities. Um, she's sensitive, but in other ways, she's she's not a highly sensitive mm -hmm. person in the way I am at all. But, um, but she is sensitive in other ways and she's a lot more extroverted than me. Um, and And she she excelled in the when so i i ended up excelling ultimately because i put in so much hard work and you know academically but it wasn't always mm -hmm. me um so growing up it was very difficult i was very quiet um you know i i struggled to understand things and to process things and everything just seemed to come so easy to her um, mm -hmm. i was very emotionally intelligent as, as, as a child but 
Um, it's the difference between IQ and EQ. And sometimes, unfortunately, you know, most of the time in schools, you're, you're not, your EQ isn't really given any value. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, I did kind of struggle. And I think she unintentionally lost patience with me growing up because she didn't really comprehend, you know, why I wasn't getting things in the way that she was. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were those differences growing up. And then, you know, in terms of personality, we were very different. Um, but she did end up being a really good support system for me, especially in cool in schools with with everything that was going on for me, because she knew mm-hmm. we really struggled. And um, we didn't always bump into each other. But whenever we did, she made sure that she was there, um, you know, supporting me if I needed it. And if, if people were being uh, disrespectful towards me because I was so quiet and different to mm-hmm. people. Um, so yeah, even though when we were younger, she didn't really understand as she started to grow older, she could, she could see that I was struggling and I didn't really know how to handle it. And because she had the abilities of verbalizing things better than I did, Mm -hmm. she took it upon herself to try and, to try and support me and speak, um, for me in many ways in a supportive way to help me through. So just knowing that I had that support was really helpful. But yeah, Mm -hmm. since growing up, I mean, now we're, again, we're totally different and I see the world in a very different way to her, but, um, but it's just about communication, isn't it? It's how you communicate things to each other because it's the same as a partner in a sense, you're not going to agree on everything, but as long as you, Mm -hmm. you can respect each other's opinions or respect uh, each other's personalities, even if you don't completely relate, then, then that's what really matters. Yeah. Agree. <laughs> and any other questions from anyone? No. Okay. Well, again, yeah. Anyone, if anyone has a question, just drop us a message, and um, it's yeah, been- feel free to reach out. It's been a pleasure, Chelsea. Thank you so much for doing. Me too. Thank you. Take care and enjoy the rest of your day. I'll speak to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.